0: So David, if we define policy as broadly as possible, I'd like to try to update the status of how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting policy issues. So David, who's on first?
1: Well, that's exactly the way I see this. It is who's on first, what's on second, and so forth. So I'm I'm suggesting that we dedicate this podcast to Abbott and Costello. Um, But nonetheless, as, as we go forward this conversation, it is clear that policy is really either going to drive a lot of what's going to happen next, or it's going to be driven by what's happening next. And I think it's going to be a, a combination of both. So, you know, as we, as our listeners know, the public health emergency has been renewed for 90 days, and you and I have discussed that because it's it's a statutory limit. It's only done for not a, for a 90-day period, and then it has to be renewed. So that's why it's been being renewed every. 90 days because that's the way it works under the law. Um, second, there's, there's three things here that I think are going to drive everyone's perspective. Second, the World Health Organization has declared that they do not believe that there will be a second wave. And the reason why there's no second wave is because they have determined that it will be an ongoing first wave and that there will never be any seasonal respite. So that tells you a lot. And then the other one that gets us to policy and, and, and healthcare. Also, but it's an example of where the rest of the country is going. Google has announced that its employees will not return to their offices before July of next summer, 2021. So everyone is beginning to scramble to get in place because there's a lot of things that have to happen here. Um, and so one of the examples that is, is going to be very much driven by policy is, for example, is the Operation Warp Speed. Now. I, you know what a Star Trek nut I am, so I love the fact that they called it Operation Warp Speed. Um, but that's where we are going for 300 million doses of a safe and effective vaccine, the government says, by January of 2021. And where the policy really comes in on this and how it's doing this, this is, and this kind of goes to our who's where, this is the combination of the Centers for Disease Control, Food and Drug Administration, National Institutes of Health, and the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, plus the Department of Defense. So it is just a whole big alphabet soup. And we're seeing the government work across silos the way we're not used to seeing it work across silos in healthcare.
0: But to that point, I think before we move on, we do need to, to sort of pause for a second and, and acknowledge the, the controversy, if that's the right way of putting it, around shifting the COVID-19 reporting data from the CDC to HHS, recognizing that CDC is in HHS. So it was an internal change. But how, how does that decision and, and sort of the controversy around it affect some of these other cross-institution or cross-agency um, uh, activities?
1: Well, let's jump to that. I, I've got that down in my notes. and We can jump over to that now um, because they're all, they're all interconnected. So as you know, we've had a bit of hoopla over the fact that all of a sudden hospitals are not supposed to be reporting their COVID-19 data to the National Health Safety Network at CDC. Instead, it's being moved over something new called HHS Protect. Okay? So an HHS Protect had been, in fairness, had been being worked on for a while this spring um, with the idea that there needed to be a, a faster and more transparent way of getting all of the COVID-19 data together. Um, and that, that gets, uh, it gets really addressed in a piece that was done by, uh, Dr. Robert Redfield at CDC, the director there, and also Joseph Arietta, who's the chief information officer at HHS. And, you know, there was a, In fairness, I think there was a lot more planning that went into it than it seemed like from the outside, but I think this is one of those perfect examples of when policy changes are made very quickly and not explained very well, they really concern people, um, and they they raise a lot of issues. So that switchover happened very quickly. It resulted in in the dashboard at CDC being down for about 48 hours. Um, and there was a lot of concern that this information was going to be sequestered and, and not really transparent and available. Um, we since have gotten assurances that that will not be the case, although I think everyone in healthcare is watching that very carefully to make sure that that is the case, that it does remain transparent. Um, what's really important though is they've made it very clear and, and some of the hospitals are concerned about it. They've made it very clear that if you don't get your, your reporting in on time, and really, and, and make sure that you're up to date, then it's going to affect your ability to get certain things that the government may be sending out, like for example, a limited supply of remdesivir. Um That's one of the things that, that is going to be determined by this data coming in. So this, this data has, you know, it's great for researchers, but it also has really on the ground effects um, for each hospital. So there's been a bit of confusion about how that all went down, and concerned that you know it not not end up being a political football, and the data gets hidden because people don't want the country focused on the numbers. Um, I'm not sure it's possible to hide the numbers any longer. Um, but without getting into the politics of this, but it does seem as though there was a bit more to this than the way it played out. I mean, what did you think when you were seeing it?
0: Well, I, I think you've raised kind of the three key issues and. They applied everything else that we're going to discuss related to to the the pandemic. And, um, you know, as I think about Operation Warp Speed, and as you know, I'm I'm less of a a Star Trek fan um, as you are. So I wish they had called it um, Operation Hyperspace, but but that's a discussion for another day. Um, You know, I think the three key issues are, you know, when you make a change, You have to have a really good reason to make this sort of change sort of mid-pandemic. And I I think that then lets to the second, which is if you're going to do that, you better explain it really carefully and make sure everyone understands why you're making that change, which gets to the, the sort of transparency issue. I think the biggest concern that I have, and, and I'm not alone in sharing this, is just the issue of unintended consequences, that that by making this change in the middle of the current situation, um, it, it's more likely that something may not work out the way you want. And, and part of what needs to happen here is that there's a level of confidence in everything else you're doing. Um, it, and I just, I worry about that set of issues. And then if I circle us back to one of the first points you made around telehealth at the same time, we have these sort of antiquated rules around, well, we can only update this every 90 days. And so we get to the end of a 90 day period, and there's a lot of panic about, say, the te- telehealth, you know, relaxing the rules around telehealth not being extended. And then everyone's sort of reacting to that. And so I just think it creates a level of anxiety that, that at this moment in time is not, it's anxiety and confusion. And that's why I, I do think the Abbott Costello kind of who's on first uh, routine is applicable here because. A lot of that is just sort of unnecessary confusion that that then lessens people's confidence in the government's ability to handle these issues.
1: Well, yeah, yeah I don't mean to be jumping all over the place, but we keep touching on so many things. Um, and mental health and PTSD-related um, kind of symptoms are also beginning to be recognized as issues uh, in this in this, this pandemic, um, and that are beginning to be a concern for public health officials. Um, so, yeah, and it doesn't help when things are being, like we said, we're walking around waiting for the next shoe to drop. Is it going to be renewed? Is it going to be extended? Are we going to be working under the same rules a month from now that we're working under right now? Um, and that's something that's, uh, that's definitely kind of, I think, stressing the system. And what I, what I want to kind of stay away from, but I, I think the best thing to do is to kind of admit that it's there, is that it is becoming incredibly powerful political issue um and you know we're facing you know a very limited time before the presidential election and i think that i think that this election could very well be a you know a referendum on how this whole pandemic has been handled in the united states for better or for worse or for whatever your political views are um whether that's fair or not but i think that is really becoming that and that's why we have so many other things that we have to we have to really think about I have on my list other things I'm thinking about here. We're entering hurricane season. um, And we've actually had the first landfall in Texas and and in Hawaii. Um, And you're looking at a a confluence of events that could lead you to another perfect storm. So where we have places like Texas who have had very large numbers of cases of COVID-19. And then you talk about evacuating sections of the state. In the midst of a, of a you know a natural disaster or, or, or a very dangerous situation like a hurricane um it further stresses the system and and really does place healthcare workers um at even higher level of performance and stress um it's i don't know if you've been thinking about that one or not but i'm beginning to see more public health officials raising concerns about the upcoming hurricane season
0: yeah so i i think for Nephrology, of course, the um, CMS's relationship with Kaiser um, is is responsible for handling a lot of those issues. At the same time, ASN also has its Emergency Partnership Initiative, the EPI. Which works closely not just with CASER, but also with the dialysis organizations around, you know, how best can we be helpful and ensure communication and, and continue to provide dialysis to people who need it in areas where there may not be power, or there may be challenges with, with, you know, being able to stay there, evacuations, et cetera. The issue we don't talk as much about in terms of summer challenges and early fall challenges, but I think um, increasingly is one that's on my radar, is is fires in in particularly California and parts of the West, and so I think that's something else that we need to be aware of. Um, you know, so you're adding these on to an already stressed situation, and, and I just keep coming back to the need for you know as strong a communication network in our community as possible. Um, you know, I I don't know how else to handle some of these issues. Um, I I was struck by something you said earlier that I want to come back to, which is that the World Health Organization is saying that there's not likely to be a second wave, but just an extended first wave. I, I guess my Question is, how does that – clearly the situation in the United States is different than a lot of the rest of the world. So in, in making – in issuing that proclamation, were they talking specifically about the U.S. or were they saying throughout the – across the world that's going to be the situation?
1: No, I don't think they were talking about just the U.S. And, and, the, way, and the way it reads is it says, you know, the World Health Organization said on such and date not to expect a second wave of infections and deaths because there's only one big wave with no seasonal respite. Um, is the way it's been reported, you know. Um, I, I guess if you're the World Health Organization, you're looking at it from a global perspective. Um, you're beginning to see that maybe it's not separate waves, but it is a wave that just kind of keeps circling the globe um, and doesn't really it, it it doesn't really die down. And we, you know, we're not to get into the science of waves, but they're kind of fascinating when you get into them. Um, and so I think they're looking at it going, this is really not going up and then stopping and then coming back. No, it's just kind of continuing to move. It's, it is, water is a very good example. I mean, water is fluid and, you know, it'll move all around and it ripples across the top and, you know, it has currents underneath. And that seems to be exactly what we're dealing with, something that just ripples all across the, you know, the country. And at the same time, has very strong currents and things can influence it. Like, you know, like we're talking about national disasters like fires and also hurricanes that could displace many, many people and, you know, provide greater exposure to the virus. So it does seem to be something that is just very, like I said, fluid. And it doesn't really have a complete start or end to it.
0: So you mentioned the political season and the fact that that the election in the fall with you know the presidency at stake all of every member of the house of representatives and a third of the senate and a significant number of governors what happens between now and then so so normally we'd be at a point where we'd be in sort of convention season and there'd be a lot of discussion around the conventions and the bounces coming out of each of the conventions and, and the platforms becoming clearer. and on the democratic side, having a sense of, of who the vice president um, is, you know, who's being, who's running for vice president, et cetera. And, and we don't really have any of that now. And so it just seems like the rest of August, all of September and all of October are going to be very different. And I'm just wondering if you could kind of walk us through as you see, um, the next kind of few months, what that's going to look like from just purely from a political perspective.
1: Well, um, you know, we, we do love politics here in Washington. So, um, yeah, the conventions are a big spectacle every four years and, um, they're spectacle and, and I confess to loving to watch them because they're just, they're kind of fascinating to watch. Um, but they do they provide this really good focus point um and it allows uh, it gives something for the you know the press to really cover and focus on it really provide information and there's also a lot of visual imagery there and that's time for voters to start to notice things and they're, they're you know here they are in the summer they know this is coming up they haven't focused on it as much but now they're really focusing on it so it's they're, they're not going to have that i think that's going to be particularly difficult for uh, the Trump campaign um, because they don't have anything particularly new that would uh, energize a lot of attention to them at that moment at that particular time.
0: I'm struck that there's, and I I know this is not an original thought, but I'm struck that there's, you know, kind of three Americas right now or three, three parts of the United States. And one is um, organizations or companies like Google that, have the kind of business and have the ability not to require people to return physically to the office. At the other end of the spectrum, you have where most of our members work um, in healthcare institutions where you don't have that luxury and and you need a significant, maybe not all of your employees, but most of your employees need to return, if you will, to the office or to to the hospital or the clinic or wherever it is they're working. And so that's just not an option. And then you have um, the service industry and, and the real challenge in terms of balancing the the pandemic and, and then people in jobs like restaurants and other sort of service-related activities where they, they physically do need to return if you want those businesses to open. And it just seems like When you add on to that, the uncertainty around the schools and the fact that in in all likelihood, most schools won't have students in them, and then the issues around child care, around providing meals for a large segment of the population, et cetera, it just seems like all that together is going to create not only stress on the system, but tensions among people, even tensions within families or among neighbors and then you put that in a as you'd mentioned in the beginning into let's just say there's there's a couple of hurricanes and there are a couple of wildfires you add in all of the election related issues and just the the stresses of a presidential election that's a lot for a couple of months and you alluded to this but I do want to highlight it there's always something that's strange that happens every fall. And, and, you know, I know there's been a lot of discussions around, you know, will North Korea do something in terms of, of trying to announce itself or, or reassert itself as a nuclear power, et cetera. I, I, just, I just think how, the more I've thought about these issues, the more worried I've been around how do we even plan for that. It's becoming increasingly likely that now through the end of the calendar year is going to be kind of one challenge that we're going to have to navigate after another.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, you know, ASM's members and these listeners right now, they, they know this like the back of their hands. They know exactly what you're talking about. This is a truly stressed society right now. Um, and it's stressing all of the kind of key points that are essential to us. Our health care, or, you know, our ability to pay our bills and, and have a job, our ability to educate the next generation. Um, these are not small subjects. I mean these are these are big important issues so you know and and not to mention the, the the battles that we're seeing over social justice and the needs of of many people who have been not have had justice for a long time in this country so i mean th- these are things that are just they're not small and they do kind of go down to the core of things you think about and worry about so uh I, my biggest concern is, is that people don't get so burned out that they just lose interest in whatever the government does, because this is one of those times where what the government does makes a whole lot of difference to you, and it, it's it's really, um, it's just, it's critical. And, you know, I think about um, some of the things that Admiral uh, Girard, the Assistant Secretary of HHS for testing, has been talking about in terms of ramping up testing. Um, and whether it's going to be a federally-led effort or whether it's going to be more state-directed. And that is a really important uh, activity right at the moment. Um, As we've talked about preparedness for things like fires, hurricanes, these are all things that really need serious work and serious indication. We've been having ongoing, very, very tough conversations uh, within the kidney community about the fact that even though uh, the public health emergency has been extended and that has extended a lot of the telehealth waivers and things that we, you know, that we needed to, to operate through. Now, you know, nephrologists are saying, well, I am a, you know, at some point, I do need to see this patient uh, at some point, you know, this does need to be um, come back around. And that whole conversation about waivers with within, you know, within the payment system for ESRD benefits, uh, it, you know, is really critical and beginning to get a lot of people's attention and, and within the kidney community about what are we going to do? How often do you need to see a home dialysis patient? How often, you know, do you need to have your in-center patients have a face to face? And there's some real concern that, that, that the, the guardrails, the safety guardrails can't be completely waived forever. Um, And that's one of the conversations that's been really at the forefront of, of where we go for the next stage of this within the mythology community.
0: So there's a quote that people have increasingly been using from from Vladimir Lenin that is there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. And I'm glad you, you mentioned systemic racism, because clearly that's an area where there there seems to be an opportunity and already some things are changing, but it seems that a lot will happen in that arena. But I'm struck, you know, just listening to you and thinking about these issues from this perspective, that the sort of first half of 2020 was traumatic and unexpected, and a lot of what we were doing was reacting as individuals and as a community. It seems like the second half of the year is going to be very much sort of this this just series of changes and, and reacting to challenges. And then, you know, as we're trying to address them, I think a lot of the what we're doing will, will end up becoming kind of permanent in terms of change. And that really does tee up an interesting 2021. And so, you know, if if Google's decision is correct and if others kind of follow that approach if they can, and as we think about the potential timelines for a vaccine and, and the, you know, operational warp speed, et cetera, it really does then almost become this interesting challenge as to what does the you know, what does the next year look like? And and you know, we can talk about that in future podcasts, but I, I think it's something as a community, the kidney community really needs to take a step back and have that discussion. But also the you know, ASN as an organization will need to as well. So I'll give you the last word if you think that's a reasonable kind of summary as to what the next year is gonna look like.
1: Yes. Yeah. I I think that's right. I think we spent the first part of 2020 uh, just just trying to deal with the the horrific nature of what was happening and hoping that there would be seasonal relief and that we would get a a chance to catch our breath. And that has not turned out to be the case. Um, And now we're kind of beginning to hunker down and realize that this is much longer than any of us anticipated. And it will go down to the core of the decisions we need to make and it 2021 when someone casually said to me i cannot wait for december 31st 2020 and i thought to myself oh there's no guarantee 2021 is going to be a whole lot better i don't want to leave us completely on that note but it is true uh it's time to really start thinking about 2021 and beyond because a lot of this is going to be with us for quite some time um even with vaccines now that we are you know we're talking about vaccines that need to be repeated that some of them may need to be combined Um, and a lot of that is going to be a lot of trial and error
0: this podcast is copyrighted by the american society of nephrology all rights reserved all content in this podcast is for informational purposes only